This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Justin. Hey, Adros. Have, have, have you, have you ever uh, get uh, imposter syndrome? Like you, you feel like you're just faking it and you're like, oh man, I hope no one realizes i mean i guess but i'd never admit to it you know i would never admit to anyone that i get it but yes i do okay well uh you know what if you just faked it till you make it what if you did that yeah right well i i I try i try to fake it till i make it and uh and sometimes the results work and sometimes they don't but uh but often i found that faking it till you make it is a good path forward that's actually how we made this podcast was just that no we didn't we were professionals from day one (laughs) (laughs) yeah man uh welcome to the marketing geeks marketing geeks another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right. Uh, hey, man, uh, we've got this uh, really killer guest, and uh, you're gonna love him because uh, he is a guy who uh, was listed under Forbes 30 under 30, but he faked it until he made it. Um, and uh, but he's also like a storyteller and a filmmaker, and he has an ad agency where he creates ads that are super creative, and then also. Uh, does the ad spend and all of that. It's all in like one kit. Super groovy. Ladies and gentlemen, Travis Chambers. (laughs) Hey, uh, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, yeah. Thanks for for agreeing to be on. Um, And uh, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about like what you do exactly. So I make, uh, it, it sounds simple, but it's really difficult. So we produce really high production uh, video ads that we run um, as Facebook and YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok ads. And um, they're, they're really, 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 really good. They're like Fortune 500 Super Bowl quality ads, but they're fully optimized for social. And doing that, we've tripled the revenue of four multimillion dollar companies in the last uh, year and a half. Not bad. I just want to step in here and say that that this isn't this isn't he he's just stating a fact. It's not like this is an ego thing. I've seen these things. 
they are really, really good, super high quality, super high professional, and uh, and and they're watchable. They're they run about four minutes in length average, but you get a lot of information. And, and Andres has severe ADD, so if he's if he calls it watchable, that's that's. But I'm, that's I'm sorry, I was paying that's attention. What, <laughs> oh. um, what do you film them in? What what kind of camera are you using? Like, squirrel proof. Uh, we use red. We shoot on red mostly um, for our, our bigger stuff, and then we we'll shoot on DSLRs for smaller retargeting ads. So for those um, of you that don't know, the red is like the that's like the top end video camera that's out there. I, I worked on one movie set in my time, and we were filming the entire thing on a red. That movie never saw the light of day in theaters, but it was still a cool experience. And Eric Roberts was in the film. Just for a side note. Well, what blows me away is. <laughs> 20 years ago, everything was shot on film. So you had to have a huge, um, three, $400,000 large format camera. And then everything had to be perfect. You couldn't even like fully exactly see what you were filming. Then it had to go get processed. And now DSLRs changed everything. And then red filled the gap and really changed everything. So do you have a film background or what, what may, I mean, you're using like top end film equipment. Did you go to film school or like, what's your, what's your background in film that brought you like, how did that come in with the advertising side? I have zero background in film. So just self-taught declared myself a director and closed a $150,000 production. And we went and made it and it turned out (laughs) super viral. And that was it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to break this down a little bit. So you, okay, let's, 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 let's rewind. So first of all, how did you get into this? Like from the beginning? So I, I made homemade movies growing up on the handy cams, like we all did, you know, duct taped yeah. the VCR shoulder camera to the top <laughs> of the helmet, helmet cam, dirt bikes. Uh, so my, 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 I, I gave into the, the old parental route of, Hey, do something safe. So I went to PR, um, but that was 2009. That's when journalism pretty much officially died permanently. <laughs> Right. And I was like, digital marketing is going to be the way I go. Um, you know, I wanted to be graphic design. I, I got accepted to USC's film school, um, nice. but it was 60 grand a year. I didn't have any money. So I went to mm-hmm. this, this, this uh, agricultural school in rural Utah and went to a program that wasn't really uh, a program. Uh, it wasn't like a super uh, strong program. There was two really good professors and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was all just self-taught from there, had an accidental breakthrough, very embarrassing breakthrough. My wife and I, I guess I got really interested in Devin Supertramp. He was really big YouTuber. Now he's huge on Facebook. Um, got really big. He invited all these people when he had like a million subscribers on YouTube in like 2014, he, he held this meetup. Actually, I think it was 2012, 2011. He had a meetup, 300 people came. I was there. We all got super pumped up and we were all bit by the viral YouTube bug. My wife and I made a viral video. She said, if I'm going 80 miles, if I said, Hey, if you're going 80 miles an hour, how long does it take to go 80 miles? And she spends five minutes trying to explain it. I've seen this. You've seen that video. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it got 10 million views. And we were in Tosh.0, Good Morning America. It was just, it went huge. And that was it. That like got me in the door to um, the top creative agency of the decade it was Christian Porter and Bogusky in LA because Kraft wow. wanted to license our video. And I said, go ahead, license the video, but I'll give it to you for free if you get give me an interview. And oh, I wow. got the job. They flew us wow. out to LA, housed us out there. And then that's, that's where it all Smart. started. I love, I love that leverage to get that interview. Well, it's also, it's also like, like uh, just seeing where the opportunities are going. And then instead of just saying, I'm well, taking the opportunity, 
you amplify the opportunity to really make it in your favor. I mean, that, that that's brilliant maneuvering. So um, uh, I want to play some audio for our, uh, for um, all seven our, of them, for our seven listeners, <laughs> because you can't see things on podcasts. I found out after like our seventh show. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? But uh, this, nobody this told me. <laughs> I thought people had sonar, echolocation, whatever. Stop, like, in... my phone was broken. <laughs> you know, I thought people were just like me, and you see like invisible flying elves all the time. Yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. So, um, okay, so this is for nerd skincare. This is a, a, a it, it, the video starts out. There's a girl. She's standing in an '80s looking arcade, and there are gross children touching it, and a food fight kind of happening in the background. So, so this is this is. This is what you she, imagine her standing in that situation. And then you why guess. did I choose bacteria filled hellhole to talk to you? Because it may just be the perfect representation of your face. Acne, people. I'm talking about acne. What's worse than acne? Adult acne. Like that time you broke out the night before your job interview. And your zits were on the forefront of your mind. Literally. You know, I'm really good with pimples. People. I'm good with people. Not. And she's she's now in the interview. So it cuts from the arcade to her in the interview. And she's got pimples on her face that are like glaring. And so it's, it's like this very like exaggerated, almost, uh, uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, arrested development type, type humor, uh, in, in these commercials, but they're, they're watchable. I mean, this one is like five, almost five minutes, but I want to watch the entire thing because it's just like, and the information is being delivered. So, so what made you like, first of all, do you come, do you have a creative team? Do you write these scripts? Like how, what's the process on making one of these films from the time? Like, how do you acquire your clients? And then what's the process to when it's launched and what you do from there? Yeah. So a client usually will come to us. Sometimes they will have, uh, they'll just want a really viral video almost in like the, um, they're just interested in it. You know, they've seen old spice and dollar shave club and they just want, they really want that. Um, but other times, most of the time, they really want growth and they realize that they can't get there with smaller type of creative. Um, usually they're brands that, um, you know, they, they realize they just need really good writing and really good creative to really break through and to further scale. Because you you can actually grow a company to a decent size without great creative if you're really good at targeting and have a good product. So they usually come to us. And, um, and then we will, we'll figure out how big they want to go. Um, you know, if they want to do millions in sales, then we will start out spending a few hundred thousand a month. Um, usually they're already spending quite a bit if they want to do that, but other brands will be spending 10,000 a month, five, 20,000 a month, but they need better creative in order to get to that next level. And so that's where we dive in. And we, we, you know, we, we build concepts, uh, and they hire us. We write the script, we do a deep dive. We, now who's we, is it, is it like how many people on your team? So we're 25 people full-time, about 20 contractors in Salt Lake. We've got a, a studio down there that we shoot on and, uh, and then we, we make it, we make the thing and then we edit it and then we cut it up and we make multiple variations. So we shoot it in a modular format. So we'll have three or four different hooks and then we'll test four or five different sales messages throughout, um, different visuals, different <clears throat> elements. And 
then we'll test four or five, six versions of that video. <clears throat> and that will get us our scalable winner. And then we'll launch and we'll scale with that. And then we create all sorts of retargeting videos um, behind that, like um, unboxings, product demos, side-by-side -side comparisons, testimonials, um, social proof, all that stuff. Is everything that you're doing, is it every, all ads or video video ads? Is that is that the entirety of it? Are you doing any um, image ads, text ads, you know, experience ads? Um 90% is video and we'll have image. Sometimes we'll use images to make a video with text overlays and stuff, which is pretty mm -hmm. common. Yeah. Um, but video is, is getting the best performance overwhelmingly across the board. And what, what are you, what kind of goals are you running with the video ads? Are you running for views? Or are you running for like, I'm thinking Facebook in my mind um, cause I've done a lot of work on the Facebook platform, mm -hmm. but are you optimizing for views? Or are you doing conversions and you're, you're looking, you're creating like conversion goals? 90% of the time it's conversion. So four years ago, 90% of it was brand awareness because you could get views and Facebook would charge a premium for conversions when Facebook didn't really have that great data four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. But now their data is unparalleled. They're, they're like light years ahead of anybody else. And so now we're pretty much always conversion campaigns. We pay that premium and, and it works really well for us. Well, let's talk about, um, the quality here because you're, you're creating like super high quality video. There's, you know, we've, we've talked on the show before about different schools of thought, how some people like the more grainy, more um, backstage type of feel versus the high production value. So has your experience been, um, I mean, have you always been on the high end or have you, have you tried both formats and this is what's working for you? I'm just curious in your opinion on that. Um, if, format as far as like length and stuff or I'm, I'm talking more about the quality like you know like somebody uses their oh, cell yeah. phone to film a video versus a red like professional 4k 5k whatever that film's at i forget <laughs> um yeah but high-end camera or 8k or whatever it is um what what has your experience been as far as, far as like you know yeah. the difference in like filming a low quality pixelate you know uh pixel video versus a uh, high quality yeah, so I'd say in a majority of cases, what really matters is the writing and the story and the visuals. And less often does the resolution or production quality matter. Uh, so production quality is simply a lever you can pull that keeps people, it gets a larger percentage of people interested for a lo longer period of time. Mm. That's all that is. So it's it's not a, um, has to be look like a Nike commercial in order to perform it's a good, better, best scenario. So your Nike ads that are beautiful and, and written by, you know, the best writers in the industry, that's the best, but lots of companies scale with good. Now, Chamber, I'll say the ads we've made for ourselves, they're not even in that best category. We threw those things together because we wanted a rapid iterative test, what kind of messaging and narrative would work. And now that they're doing really well, we'll go reshoot and do it way nicer, way bigger, way better. Um, the other, the other thing that we found, and we've tested this, we've spent a lot of money testing this, is we've, we've basically identified that there seems to be two camps of, of, of buyers. And some people seem to be more skeptical. They're, they're less like visual and, and aesthetically motivated. These are the kind of people that may like drive a Honda Civic or a Prius <clears throat> because they just don't care to have a beautiful car. But, like, but still have millions of dollars? That yes, means? Yeah. exactly. They're very skeptical um, they're, they're just not necessarily as visually in, uh, inclined. And so for them, the information is what's important. And so we've seen iPhone shot videos will perform really well with that half of people. Now, the other half of people, they, they, they have to have the image, the, the, the identity, they want to be able to identify with something that's 
really um, aspirational and ambitious and beautiful and sexy. And those are the people who buy Gucci purses and and um, wear Armani suits and drive a car they can't afford. And um, so it depends on your target demographic, really. Like, then then it depends on whether or not you're going to go for that higher end uh, sort of look. So so. So the one the, the 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 question I have then is um, okay. So you you create the piece of content and you test it. I guess you take out like very small ad spends on different types of messages and different cuts of a particular piece of content, right? See which one performs best towards that particular demographic. Then do you like recut it with the kind of the winning sort of vibe that you're looking at? That's exactly it. Yep. So lots of variations and we'll move them out throughout the funnel too. So we'll say, um, well, let's test this ad in a prospecting and then let's see what kind of retargeting assets get them to buy behind that. Um, or then we'll test something in retargeting to see if it gets people to convert after they've seen a prospecting ad. So a prospecting ad is just your broad. That's, that's when you want to reach people who have never heard of you before. And then your retargeting is uh, obvious. It's pretty self-explanatory. Right. Um, so we've seen some like raw iPhone testimonials uh, drive millions in sales at the top of funnel. Uh, equally, equally as efficient as our fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollar productions. Yeah. And we don't see that as a de- as a detriment at all to to either side. We just see that as uh, it takes all types of content to really yeah. perform. So what, what type of uh, retargeting audiences are you building? Are you building around, I'm, I'm assuming you're building around video view length. Um, is that primarily what you're doing? Are you all, I mean, I, I, you're probably also building around website visitors, pixel, pixelated uh, people that have been pixeled. But tell me, tell me like uh, what percentage of video view have you found to be like the best retargeting or, or does it vary based on the ad? And, and I also wanted to know um, when you're doing split testing, like do you have a set number of impressions that you try to to reach to determine if something's been successful or not? Yeah, so retargeting based on time watched completely varies. So it's anywhere between 3% and 20% is what we've seen is usually that the, the most common range. <clears throat> that And the reason for that is, we usually get the brand introduced within the first 20 seconds of the video. Mm-hmm. So we're usually optimizing around that because if they see the creative before they hear about the brand and they click away, then they've, in, in some cases, they don't know whether or not they were into this thing or not. So usually the problem, we can hook them and then we introduce the brand. And so we really want to be able to retarget people after they've heard about the brand, because then they, <clears throat> they really can decide if they want to self-qualify themselves or not. And, you know, the old way is, is people would spend this, send the cheapest traffic they could and try to get the website to do all the work. Well, the new way is you want your video funnels to get people because the truth is views are cheaper than clicks. Way cheaper. Yes, way cheaper. So you don't want people clicking that that aren't going to have a high intent. And now as far as, um, that's a good point. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And actually it's surprisingly, uh, that's surprisingly new. I'd say majority of marketers still haven't really concluded, made that conclusion yet. Yeah. Um, So I just, I just, I just want to reiterate this particular point because it's a really good one. Uh, you make the video, you wait about 20 seconds before you introduce the brand because then you can tell if someone actually has been paying attention or they just clicked through like how, how it, it, it guarantees that, you know, if they're on this side of the engagement rate or the other side of the engagement rate. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. And uh, as far as your question about behaviors and how we retarget, so it's pretty standard. So it's a uh, website retargeting. Uh, one thing that's a little bit unique that we do is we will make specific retargeting assets for people who have um, been to the checkout cart, but didn't purchase. So hmm. we call those cart reminders. Yeah. That's, that's something that maybe is a little more unusual that we I, do. I played with that a little bit. So they're basically like abandoned cart. Um, you're following mm -hmm. people. Now, uh, even on that same though, when I was asking about the impressions, you have a set number of impressions that you like to reach to, to then determine whether an audience has been successful or not. No. So for us, it's all about the conversions and, and how warmed up the pixel is. So Generally, what we've seen is once you get to 25 conversions, whether that and that conversion could be anything you want, that could be going to a second page on the website, it could be giving you the email, it could be um, clicking a certain link, or of course, it could be a purchase. And um, what we've seen is usually 25 conversions on a given ad set um, will get that pixel really warmed up. And that's where Facebook starts to get really powerful. So we don't look at really, honestly, we almost pay zero regard to views and impressions. And it's really about conversions. Now, now Facebook obviously plays a large role uh, in, in kind of your advertising methodology. Um, and so what I'd love to ask you about that is, do you think that Mark Zuckerberg is an evil alien? <laughs> Great question. You know, I think he's a, I think he's just a, he's a genius. He's like probably you don't, think he's a cyborg? you don't think he's like wearing a human. Suit? <laughs> like, I don't think so. It could be a, a shape-shifting, yeah, shape-shifting lizard hybrid. That's right. I forgot about those. Hey, I do. To, to, I will say that I do think there are aliens among us. So yeah, totally. Of course. Of course. <laughs> we just can't see them. Yeah. But, but if you drink ayahuasca, you can, and that's, <laughs> that's a separate conversation. Or, or if you die, if you die clinically and then they bring you back. Yeah, then you've experienced that releases DMT right before you die, right? That's, that's the, right. That's yeah. right. It's, it, it, your, your brain is flooded with DMT, which is the same thing in ayahuasca. So I heard if you listen to Joe Rogan enough, you will start to see aliens. <laughs> yeah, or you just, you just look at it, Joe Rogan and think he's an alien. I think if you, you listen, I think if you listen to this show enough, you might too, because we talk about like simulation theory and all lots of weird things on this show. Also, <laughs> I don't want to get too off track, but I I think the, the simulation is my backup plan for uh, for religion. So really, <laughs> yeah. so if it turns out religion's not true, then I'm just going to say, okay, more intelligent, more intelligent population created a simulation, and all the religion is actually an accurate metaphor. So I'm good <laughs> either way. I'm 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 into I'm into the idea that we're already in the simulation, and so what you're what you're thinking is just like what you would think in the simulation. I think yeah. you're, you're um, like an AI that's like I I got a I got I got a question. I want to bring it back on track. Uh, I want to you you mentioned that you're running ads on TikTok. I've never even I I've barely used TikTok. Andros is playing with it more than me. I, I'm well aware of the value of TikTok. People are all over me to get on there. Definitely. Um, but I want to just talk about like, what's the ads platform like on there? Like it, I imagine it's in its early infancy. Is it, how developed is it? Like how, do, how does that work? What does that look like? We're just platform? doing very small test spends. So we haven't, we haven't spent any great amount of money because like you said, the platform is very, it's very, it's just very like caveman basic well, right now. Especially the ads platform. I think. Yeah. And it's yeah. Cute, really young. Right. Yeah. But that's going to change because yeah. everything they're doing is built like Facebook. Pinterest has copied Facebook. Actually, I don't know. I'm surprised there's no lawsuits. They've literally just like copied the the whole uh, UX of the ad platforms. But I'm sure, I'm sure TikTok, Pinterest. I'm I 
it has to be that they hired Facebook engineers to build all this stuff out. Probably. Because the Google UX is totally different. Well, remember when, yeah. remember when Instagram stories and Facebook stories copied Snapchat? I mean, come on, there was no lawsuit there. So they're like, well, if they can get away with that, we can get away with stealing everything from Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. If, I don't know if Snapchat's going to survive, to be honest with you guys. I, I know it's big and it's, it's getting adopted by older people, but mm -hmm. I, I just don't know if the, they got the leadership and I don't know if they have these, I think TikTok is going to probably edge, edge them out really quick. Well, this, yeah. TikTok this, is yeah. great. I mean, I, I, I actually, uh, it's, I, I try to stay away from TikTok for two reasons. Number one, because I don't like the idea of all of my data going to the Chinese government, but <laughs> that's a different uh, topic. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, it's just, I just, you know, it's either the U.S. government or Chinese government. So. Snapchat made some really bad business decisions with how they went public, trying to base. I think they all knew Spectacles what wasn't going to be anything, and they smoke and mirrored it. And I, I think TikTok, they have unlimited funding. Yeah. That's what it takes. Well, and it's also, the thing I love about it is, is the interface is just so simple, and it's really just you're seeing people doing amazing stuff. I mean, to me, Part of the thing that makes TikTok great is that it's kind of what social media was really designed for, where you just see people doing awesome stuff all day long. I mean, for now, not it's the first platform <laughs> that has made the ability to create an, a complete average Joe, every person like YouTube. You had to shoot a video and edit it and then it had to be very good and it had to yeah. be perfectly optimized. Like you've got to be very, very skilled to grow a YouTube channel. Yeah. In, in most cases and, and, and to be successful at it on an ongoing basis, but TikTok, right. Where they have that duet feature and stuff. It just, everyone can riff off of everybody else. It's doing something that no one's ever done. I, it's, it yeah. really is kind of like the ultimate social platform. Well, and it really it's opened is. up for organic. It's still open for organic reach, which is the big thing that yeah. everybody's, everybody's on because, you know, Facebook business pages, you get to reach what, like 2% of your, of your followers when you post on Facebook. I mean, it's like, you no. want to talk about, you want to talk about a dead platform. Uh, I did want yeah, to come what, back to what, one thing on what Snapchat. Made, what oh. made Snapchat grow is what's going to kill Snapchat. And that's the, yeah. the private, private one-on-one -on -one thing that it started with mm -hmm. and then selling out and, and, and then collecting data anyways. Like it just, Snapchat should never have been a rival social network you know yeah. it should have stayed an app like it was they've tried to rebrand themselves as like an augmented reality company um they, I, that's what i've seen recently is that they're trying to like call themselves a technology company now instead of a social media company but i think i think the damage is done it's probably too late. too late i'm kind of on your yeah. I, you know. I i do think the next big social platform it is some kind of ar uh ecosystem right that's mobile. Yeah, maybe, but but you've got to have hardware that's that is seamless with your day. You know, like I, it's got. If, if I have to wear a clunky thing on my head, I'm not. It's not. No gonna, one's going to do that, right? Well, I want. I, I need to ask you a question. This relates to TikTok. Uh, one of the. I just read this article. I think it was in Wired, where they talk about how TikTok uh, music producers are making small thirty second loops. And if the loop is successful, then they make the song and put it on Spotify. It's kind of the new way of testing, you know, how something sounds. And so songs have become shorter because of that. Um, but I want to find out from you if if you have used TikTok in that same way to test various messages. And if you think that's that kind of thing is going to be more of the norm moving forward. 
You know, we haven't. And part of the reason is because you got to have an audience to be able to test it. And brands just don't have very much audience right now on TikTok. So we're still relying on ads to do to do that testing pretty okay. much. And it's just like the reach is so diminished on the other platforms that I think I think testing organic is a great strategy. And I, I'd say I, th- I think I think that might be a smart move for a brand to do with their own people. For an agency, mm-hmm. it's a it's a tough model to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so uh, so where do you see? I mean, first of all, obviously, it seems like Facebook is still a relevant platform for advertising, uh, unless actually, you've been banned. Unless you've been banned. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm actually talking clients out of using Facebook now. I feel like the since to me the platform is not an integrity, especially with people's data. I don't feel I, I don't want to give them business. Um, but you still find it for the time being an effective marketing tool. Can you talk a little bit about that and where you see the future of Facebook going? For me, Facebook has never been better than it is right now. Really? Yeah. So it's it, the herd is getting thinned right now and um, it's more expensive than it's ever been. And the data, though, is exponentially richer than it was a year ago, even two years ago. It's uh, it's like. The Facebook has gotten to a point of like, it's just an omniscient behemoth. It's an all knowing, it's like God mode now. It's so, <laughs> it's so bad for humanity, but it's so good for advertising. So we that's don't even. Why, that's why Zuckerberg is a, is a, is a multidimensional like skin. <laughs> and, <laughs> he, he has like the most powerful thing in the universe. So he, that, that's all I got to say. Yeah. Well. Hopefully all the money he gives away makes up for it, like Bezos. That's right. Bezos committed to $10 billion to uh, to fight climate change yesterday, I think it was. But that's probably, I didn't read the whole thing, but I think probably after he dies, though, I would imagine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the stipulations were on that $10 billion. After he's living on Mars and Elon Musk is sending uh, <laughs> iPhones to him, you know. There's two studies out that say all we need is a trillion trees. That's it. I don't know. Trillion trees. That's a lot of space, though. Well, not well. No, until we try it, maybe a, <laughs> maybe a ten billion dollars can pay well, for that. But so anyways, let's take let's take a step back here because yeah. when we when we started the conversation, we started about this this idea of faking it till you make it, and and you you shared a story about um, how you leveraged you leveraged a viral video into a job interview with um, with an advertising agency through Craft. Now, um, so tell what was it like working for that ad agency and. Um, and kind of like, tell me about the experience there. Is that is that basically where you learned most of your skills from? I mean, is that uh, is that what you would attribute to to where you are in your career today? Yeah. So fake it till you make it should never apply to scientists, engineers, or doctors. <laughs> or doc- I was gonna say doctors for sure. Yeah. But it always applies to marketing because Wait, doctors. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You know what they say about or, the, or sword swallowers. You know what they call the last, <laughs> the last, uh, the person who ranks bottom in their graduating class, doctor. doctor. <laughs> yeah. I love that sword one. Swallowers or sword swallowing doctors, which is mm, that's that was the thing that I that was a whole other. Thought. So in marketing and PR, it's we basically are all you know we're all we're all fake it to make it. There's a reason my PR graduating class was full of beauty school. Uh, beauty school pageant girls, but um, it's, it's uh, so, so what happened is, is uh, I actually learned most of my skills in internships and side projects. So started yep. an MMA fight in college that was sanctioned 
and Fight Club legal. Like it was <laughs> 2000 people showed up to the first event. We held it in the ice hockey arena. We had EMTs, we had licenses, judges. It was all above board. Um, but I learned those, those foundational tactics through businesses like that. So uh, I, I would, I flyered a thousand cars at football games until the cops chased me away. I would uh, put lawn signs around the whole town um, and uh, with no phone number, no contact or anything. And then I would invite people. So I would message people on Facebook and say, if you invite 200 people to this group, I'll give you a free ticket. They would screenshot that they had invited 200 people to this event. And so I pretty much figured out if I got 8,000 people invited out of a hundred thousand people in the town that I get 2000 people to show up. Um, so it was just like, I started a painting company that I had six months and I, I didn't make any profit on that. Um, I, was that through college works painting? <laughs> yeah, it was. I did that too. I did, did that too. How was your experience <laughs> with that? I, I, I did, uh, I did 20 grand in business, which is not very, not, not that great, but I, you know, I sold, I, it was talking about faking it until you make it. I'm knocking on doors, you know, you door to- what this whole thing is. Okay. Dude. So let's take it. Let's, let's I think you're it. smarter than me. You probably half-assed it. And it was probably the smartest thing you ever did. Cause I went full bore and I would do anything to close the deal. Oh, I totally, I totally half-assed it. This was my college days. I was at UC Santa Barbara. So I'm like partying and like, I'm supposed to work on the weekends for the college works painting. So doing 20 grand was actually pretty impressive given the fact that I didn't even go out there every weekend. So, so. I did 60, <laughs> I did 60. And by the end of the summer, I was three grand in the hole. So I closed the biggest, fattest job I could for the end of the year. And I went and did it without college works being involved. And that was, nice, the, nice. that was the only way I survived. <laughs> so to explain this, uh, this company college works painting is, it's almost structured like an MLM. I mean, the best like way to describe it, I guess it is. It's uh, and it, it, what they do is they set you up with a, a franchise of their painting uh, house painting uh, business and you're responsible for buying your own equipment, but they give you the training. They give you the uh, liability insurance. They give you they give you that kind of setup. And then we're we have to go door to door and build a business from scratch. So it was uh, it was quite an experience. I, I'm glad I did it for the for the value of what I learned in it. But essentially, yeah, it was like working for free. And um, but for me, in that same kind of vein, though, this this whole idea of fake it till you make it. It's like how can I find ways where I can work for free or get paid to learn. Yeah. And, and it's finding like, even if it's a low paying job, like if I could find a way where I can get paid to do what I'm doing and learn, that's, that's, that's how you fake it till you make it because you're, you're getting, <laughs> you've got to get your foot in the door there, whether it's internships or like low paying jobs or whatever it takes. Uh, but that's like, that was my journey of fake it till you make it was like just finding these ways of doing that instead of the path of paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, these seminar companies or for, um, you know, for college through like a university, like that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is that it's like those mechanics translate to everything else you do, right? Regardless of the platform. You yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, the very first website I ever built, I charged for, and uh, I think I ripped that person off, even though I charged like 500 bucks because I was just <laughs> like, I'm just going to build a website for you. And yeah. It was a terrible the thing is just like that. And you know, like there may be like some, uh, there may, it may feel a little sketchy, right? Say fake it to make it, but really there's no, the reason the reason it's okay to say that is there's no other way to learn marketing. Yeah. Marketing is completely theoretical. So there is, mm -hmm. there is no way to learn it by, I mean, you could get, I yeah. could, you could find someone with a doctorate in marketing 
And you could go find a 20 year old who grew up with a dad who was a vice president of marketing at some company and he'll destroy him. Yeah. So, and, and it's also, also because, you know, you, 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 sometimes you just got to try things. You're just like, I don't know. I'm just going to do this. See if this thing works. Yeah, I mean, know, like in medicine, they call it, I'm practicing medicine. Right. <laughs> Doctors actually do fake it. So they make it. Their first That's surgery true, yeah. is it's totally insane. Total insanity. But there's just, I mean, they do surgery on pigs first and stuff, so that's good. Yeah, uh, nobody then, wants nobody wants to know that their doctor is doing the first surgery on them, <laughs> but it's got to <laughs> happen from time to time, right? Yeah, I mean, they do have cadavers and stuff. There's no cadavers for marketing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, so when we, that's the that's always the answer. If anybody's wondering, like, how do I really get into marketing? Just do it. Just do it. And no, just, no cadavers in marketing. But the hardest one that people ask me is, hey, how do I learn how to write? like comedic comedic writing for anchor videos. And I'm like, yeah, do it and fail, do it and fail. That's it. That's the only, like, I can't, you, it can't be taught. It takes a year of just slogging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, absolutely. same thing with stand up comedy. I would imagine just do it and fail because I really want to try. Yeah. So the last six months I've been writing like a half hour stand up mm-hmm. routine and given like, I'm not naturally a gifted comedian. Like it doesn't come to me naturally. Yep. But I've been trying to really think about, because I do think, obviously, I think we all agree, stand-up's the most difficult form of writing, probably, of any genre. Yeah. Yes. It's harder than drama, thriller, um, narrative, doc. It's harder than anything. I've known stand-up comedians, and the other th- aspect to that is there's a skill in being able to deliver the same routine night after night while, while making it feel different and then making it feel fresh. Because they, I mean, when you, when you hang out with these guys, it's most 95% of their set is the same thing every single day. And some of them go like, you know, five days a week for like a year or longer with the same material. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And they have to, they have to continue to, to make that sound like it's the first time they're delivering it kind of like a musician almost. And, uh, and then keep the audience engaged. So it's, there's a lot of skill sets involved. So you're, so you're doing, uh, you're doing some comedy writing right now. Yeah, I, I am. So uh, I don't know if I'll ever perform it, but I've been I've been trying to challenge myself with that exercise. Have you done any um, any improv training, anything like that? No, that's something I want to get in, I want to get into. Is, I guess I kind of have yeah. though, because I've briefed and guided um, probably like fifty different comedic writers over the last six years. So in a way, I think they probably have trained me to to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, now it seems like you've always been the type of person to be a bit more entrepreneurial, like take chances, stretch yourself, you know, so has this, is this something that you feel like you've always had that trait or is it something that you acquired at some point or made a choice to acquire? I don't know. I, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, even though I was doing it. I never thought of myself. I, I, I always just like, my dad was a corporate guy. You know, he grew Roundup to what it is now at Monsanto, gave tons of people no. cancer, cancer, including himself. Oh, wow. So, like, I grew up in it, uh, in the marketing side, but I always planned on having a job. My, I remember when I, was, I was 19, I was like, if I can make $100,000 a year by the time I'm 30, I will have made it and that will be it for me. That's it. You know, not that's, so much money anymore, is it? No, <laughs> no, not really. Not really, no. So, I found myself at 26 making 120 in in at 20th century fox and i was working like 70 hours a week and just wasn't very rewarding work it was my dream job and i hated it so that's when i 
really started to figure out I was an entrepreneur. So, 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 uh, so you were working at 20th Century Fox doing what? Uh, as director of social media for three months. Oh, and what year? What year was this? Uh, this was six years ago. Okay. So, so, okay. Why three months? And and when was that moment that you were like, nope, I'm going to do this on my own? <laughs> so, so they brought me in to do video, um, and I was not very well equipped or experienced in what they ended up needing me to do. So I really sucked at that job. And <laughs> part of the reason I was working 70 hours a week is I was incompetent in so many ways to deal and navigate uh, that kind of Hollywood. And 20th Century Fox is kind of notorious for being the most difficult. I had friends at like Sony Pictures and a few other studios and they, I was like, God, you guys have such a cush job compared to me. Were you living in LA? Yeah, in LA, yeah. Wow, I lived in LA for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, been everywhere, man. Where were you living in LA? Redondo Beach. And where was this? What, what, what year? Six years ago. Okay. 2013, 14. Yeah. 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 And and you know the other the other thing about Hollywood is that it's it, I, I I it's it's as if as if someone shook the entire United States and only the normal people hung on and everybody <laughs> yeah. with some sort of mental disorder, you know, it's sociopath, psycho, you know, banana head, just like ended yeah. up at. Studios. That's Every, why I'm really close to LA, but not quite there because that's like the metaphor fits perfect for me too. I I'm think just a little of, bit outside. <laughs> I, I think most of our sociopaths in this country are in New York and Wall Street and in Hollywood. And the, yeah. it just attracts those people. And if you ever want to see what happens to people who don't make it, just go to the DMV in South Hollywood and you'll find them. Lots yeah. of hot plastic surgeries. Lots it's, of it, it's wild. So so here's yeah. here I think the, that's the, the reason that South Central exists and that skid row exists is it's that pilgrimage and then it's just a prolonged gold rush man it's just it's just followed by drug addiction yeah. and depression so i found out i was an entrepreneur through necessity so i said yeah. okay i'm too deep in advertising to change careers but i can't find a job where i can work less than 50 or 60 hours a week so i'm gonna have to create that job so it was an accidental thing i found out i found out i was an entrepreneur i just took a um i just took a a really, really expensive personality test, like a super legit one for a whole team. And they're like, you're the most polarized entrepreneur that you can get. You're like one percentile in every single one of these extreme <laughs> areas. Was it, was it the Colby or do you remember what test it was? It was the, it wasn't Colby. I had to take the Colby and I, I scored very high on entrepreneurial. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I it's, uh, yeah, I can't remember. There's, what it was. Some, there's a bunch of them. So, well, yeah. okay. So, I just want to, I just want to ask like about one thing, and that is, and that's why I failed at 20th Century Fox too. I didn't yeah. have, I don't have the personality or skills to be an executive, uh, like a mid, not an executive. Sorry, I don't have the skills to be a mid-level leader at a massive organization. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't handle it. It's the same reason I can't play soccer. I can't see the field. Like, and an entrepreneur is like. You know, people say ADHD means you can't focus, but it's more like Asperger's where you you can only focus on one thing at a time. It's really yeah. like an inability to multitask. So often it's just very difficult to juggle all these. So entrepreneurs, it's like, here's the mission, you know, and I'm going to kill it. That's why I was good at swimming and horrible soccer. Swimming, it's like get to the other end of the pool and back as fast as you can. There's nothing else, you know, soccer. It's just like, I don't know what the hell is going on with all these moving pieces. <laughs> You know what I mean? 
I get it. So, so, okay. So, so you're, you're working at, and, and, and so you lived there. Uh, how long did you live in LA? Three years, three years. So, so, and you grew up like in Salt Lake city. Uh, uh, grew up in, uh, Mount St. Helens wilderness area, North of Portland. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so what was your, like when you, when you first got to LA and you started working around these, these people, cause LA people are like, they're neurotic. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. So when you were really around a large group of these types of people, what was going through your mind and I what like, were you experiencing? I felt like I was suffocating. Like I felt like I like couldn't breathe. So when I was at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, they had, um, they have such a strong interview process there that they, they had some of the best people in the world, genuinely good people at CPB people you want to be around all day, incredible talent, just great character. It wasn't until Hollywood that I got into that, <laughs> like where the guy, where the guy would fire everyone. He'd fire 15 people in a room um, and sniffing his nose a lot. And then someone tells you to show up the next day, that kind of stuff. It yep. was, it's the only word for it is toxic. Like it's just a group of psychopaths in the same organization. And not all the studios are like that, you know, and, but the people who rise to the top, definitely most of them are sociopaths. I could agree with that. Yeah, there's a great book by John Ronson, uh, John Ronson about that called The Psychopath Test, which talks about how psychopaths tend to rise to CEO positions and high level management for corporations. I think but, if you look at San Francisco and Los Angeles, you've got Gold Rush, right? Yeah. Only, only like only either a outlaw or a super desperate person or a sociopath goes west with a handcart to look for gold okay yeah. the normal people sell shovels and the psychopaths they don't stop they can't stop and so they are all still there and so <laughs> you've got years of evolution from that <laughs> and so yeah. then you have just on constant influx of desperate people with low self-esteem and childhood issues that that want that validation from the whole world on the screen and it's just like a predator situation. <laughs> Harvey you know Weinstein I mean? entered the room. Yes, yes. Now I, I gotta wrap up this last thing here because we we're, again we're talking about faking it till you make it. You uh, you wrote an article, or I'm sorry, you were featured in the Forbes 30 Under 30, and then you recently wrote an article, or maybe it might be a year or two old, how you said that you faked it to get on the Forbes list. Um, tell me, uh, uh, just tell me a little bit about that, uh, like what that, what that looks like, like, uh, what, what was it, what did it mean to get on that list for you first and foremost? And what did it do for your business? And then, uh, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean when you say you faked it to get on there? So until I got that, I genuinely felt that Forbes 30 under 30 meant nothing to me. I thought it was like a very egotistical pursuit to try and get that or to like orient my life or do things in a way to get that. However, I did see a really clear benefit to hacking media in order to get that recognition. So what I did is I, I called up the most influential people we'd ever worked with in our commercials, like Laura Clary, Manon Matthews, JP Sears. And, um, and I asked Laura Clary if I could nominate myself as her so that she didn't have to do any of the forms filling out. She said, fine. She's got like a few million followers. So I felt, I felt, I, I filled it out. I sent her the link. She tweeted out the nomination. And then I called all the most influential people I could find and had them retweet it. And of course they, we tagged the 
the Forbes 30 Twitter handles and a couple other of those handles. So what happened is it's like, you know, Forbes is, they don't really care about who deserves it. They really care about the business of reach with selling more impressions. And so, yeah. So when they saw I was getting a lot of retweets from influencers, they probably stopped caring so much about how credible I was and caring more about the kind of reach that I would generate if they put me on the list. And, and I, and that, that was, that's what, that's what did it. But I think all, all words are, I mean, manipulatable or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it is you're, really just playing, weird. you're just doing the same thing that everybody's done for years, except you're uh, calling yourself out for it. That's it. It's it's really weird that adults get awards. It's really, it really weird. Good, right? You know, <laughs> kind of weird. We but self, no, we like to congratulate each other. But, you know, it's, it's like, this, yeah. is, this is something that, you know, like, for instance, I'll do this with a company where I'll write a press release. I'll go on Fiverr. I'll find a guy to distribute it to all the AP. It'll get picked up by some newspaper or some online journal somewhere. And then I'll take that piece of content and I'll post it and I'll be like, Hey, look, we're getting mentioned in this blah, 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 blah. So it, it you, you know, in, in politics, obviously, especially now is all about just, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy how the world has been is now manipulated through messaging. So Crispin Porumbagueski became the number one agency of the decade from 2000 to 2010 because they pioneered that strategy. So they stopped writing to sell stuff. They started writing for the press release. So everything got really stunty. There was a decade period where journalism went from mostly honest to to mostly paid off, and and they that was the decade where that worked. And now it doesn't work because there the journalism press has lost most, most of its credibility. So, um, so we have a lot of companies, right. When we first started out that had had huge press press waves in 2006 or 2010, because they hit a, they hit a, the right article at the right time and people would cling to that. And then that, that tapered off, they'd get that same tier of press now. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't do the same kind of thing anymore. Yeah. 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 So, so where, where do you see kind of the future of advertising? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it seems that you feel Facebook is going to stay relevant. I, I, I predict at some point Facebook will die like MySpace, but maybe not. Who knows? Uh, what, what, where do you see it kind of going from here? So I do think Facebook is an unprecedented social platform because of the amount of personal information memories that people have tied into it. So mm-hmm. as far as the older generation goes, I think it Facebook could survive for decades. Now it may not still stay relevant with the younger generation because some someone is gonna compete. Someone's gonna invent something that that is more addictive. It's just that's just gonna happen. Could be TikTok. Yeah. Um but I think that um the future is it's in the social platforms. I really do. I think I think Pinterest will continue to grow. Um, you know, TikTok will continue to grow. And I think we'll see more channels for action. I think over the top is actually really huge part of our future. Like Netflix, Hulu, um, you know, Vudu, Disney Plus. Eventually those are gonna become ad platforms because eventually content is gonna be free. Like it's just a race to the bottom 
to that you know, extent, uh, we we had a political marketer on the show, um, Philip Stutz, back in January, or yeah, and and he talked about how Hulu sells information already. So there are ad platforms that buy the information from Hulu, and they can retarget based on like specific news segments somebody watched and things like that. So there already are ways of leveraging the data from Hulu. Um, now they're they're not, and, and obviously Hulu sells ads on their platform as well. Um, but I agree that because Netflix has been collecting data for years, so they're sitting on a gold mine of data. Well, Netflix, and they're just yeah. Netflix shareholders are starting to really pressure them to run ads. They said they never would, but I guarantee you they will. Well, the other thing the, I think the competition's be, here now. Disney Plus is here, and uh, yeah. Warner Brothers, and all these other companies are coming with streaming, so they have to do something. Yeah, I think I think the other thing too is like you're going to get to point two, or you'll get paid to go to the movie theater because the ads that are there. Yeah, you know, um, there's a new thing too that I think is going to be huge. Um, which is uh, it's it's um, C C commerce. It's a coin that's been turned by uh, Wooly. They're a Utah startup, but basically democratizing influence because three years ago there was really influencers, and then there were people who had zero influence. Yeah, and that's getting further and further democratized with the creative tools like TikTok, where someone with very below average talent that's really not that interesting can, can make that's some us. pretty cool stuff. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. I, I put myself in that group. So I think, I think uh, C commerce is going to be pretty big where you're getting a million people to Tesla has basically invented C commerce. You know, we, they don't, we, they don't do uh, marketing. we had a crypto person on, uh, we haven't even aired it yet, but uh, last, last week, I think it was. And, and he talked about the idea of, um, paying influencers for their reach, you know, because instead of YouTube or Facebook making all the money off of this, like actually paying them, I mean, I guess YouTube is paying um, the top uh, performers some of that, some of that money back to an extent. But the, but the idea is that if you're providing traffic and you're the one that's doing this, why aren't you getting paid for it? Like you're giving Facebook a ton of value for free and you're not getting rewarded for it. Uh, the other thing that I've been seeing is this idea of incentivized data sharing. So uh, basically you're getting rewards like gift cards and things like that. If you, uh, if you take surveys and, and share data um, instead of the, the old way of just like us trying to covertly capture that data. So that's another thing I see is like potentially taken off. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, eventually everyone is going to have some level of celebrity, you know, everyone's going to have some sphere of influence. Like we already see just like the huge, huge um, drop off with, you know, the Oscars and with uh, the global, Golden Globe speech from, uh, what's his name? Ricky Gervais. Yeah, the, the avalanche is sliding, man. And yeah. And so. Now, yeah. And, and this, is, this is the weird thing, you know, as we get into kind of a, a post-human sort of world. I mean, this is really the last moment that that normal human life is going to exist. Uh, and, and everything now is really about kind of marketing and, and, and hyper-marketing and hyper-targeting. Uh, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a challenge for the human race because we are also up against this whole concept of, of, of free will. And the, you know, we don't realize collectively how manipulated we are by this technology. I mean, we are super hyper-manipulated by it. And and what it's doing to us. So you know, I feel like we're we're kind of entering this new epoch in, of of human evolution in a sense, where we're the technology is becoming merged with us. And yeah. 
when when I taught classes, I used to ask people, how many people think that they're a cyborg? And no one would raise their hand. And then I would ask, well, how many people can go into another room and not bring your cell phone with you? You're a cyborg. <laughs> so right? I think I think in about 30 or 40 years, you will not be able to survive or find food or shelter unless you have technology integrated biologically with with your body, with your brain. It's going to it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it. And, and so and this is and so this brings up an interesting point. And, and uh, one of the things that I believe might save us as a, as a species is, is, as the Buddhists say, if one person is starving, we are all starving. But if we have a technology where we can actually see that that person starving, f- feel that person starving and know that like, oh, my actions just doing this little thing can either help or not help that person. I think that will like I think that AI may get to a point where where we'll be able to have like a biofeedback with with our environment and other people and we'll become so kind some of sort super- of shared empathy. I yeah. Think, I think humans are so integrally built for survival on the most animalistic level that I I don't I I think humans will survive a long we've survived every single possible we survived the ice age we survived books like we survived yeah. Yeah. The bubonic plague. I think we'll survive AI. I think I think we'll sur- I think we'll reverse global warming. I think we have the capacity. I, I, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in the survival instincts of humans. Yeah, that, me too. You know, I so a couple couple yeah. closing questions for you here. Um one, what kind of what kind of clients are you specializing in working with or what kind of industries right now are you working with at your um at your agency? Yeah, so the most common is direct-to-consumer brands, um, mostly in CPG, so consumer packaged goods. However, we worked a lot of services, SaaS, B2B. Um, we worked a lot of um, national retailers like Potbelly Sandwiches, who is, hmm. there's no D2C play there. So it's pretty pretty big across the board. But okay. the, the, our favorite clients are, are, are brands who are doing between one and 50 million a year they have uh, they have a high affinity for risk and growth and they are ready to like double or triple their revenue that's that's the most exciting brands for us so between 1 and 50 million is kind of the sweet spot in revenue mm-hmm. and how do um and, and anyone that is listening that's in that in that range or or still wants to contact you how how do they get in touch with you what's the best way to do that yeah so you go to our website at www.chamber.media you can also connect with me on linkedin or i have a public email which is tc at chamber.media there's no s in there um and we have offerings as low as two or three thousand dollars a month so we've got offerings for literally any company of any size that's great and so yeah check out chamber.media uh there's no dot com it's chamber.media and uh check out some of those commercials because they're uh very, very entertaining. Um, so, so Travis, tell us, uh, what are you geeky about right now? It's geeking you out, man. Dude, I've been going on a discovery binge watching the Bushmasters show, Bushcraft, Bushcraft. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to start making Airbnbs. Like, what, what is that show? Well, I don't even know what show. What is the show? It's the called Bushcraft, Bushcraft Masters. Uh, and then it. there's this other show called You Can't Turn That Into a House. But I'm like, that's my dream, man. I want to go like find a huge cement drainage pipe and put it up on stilts in the forest and make it into an Airbnb. And I want to, 
make like an Ewok village tree housing. I that's like my geeky thing right now. <laughs> oh, Ewok I'm village. Gonna, like, okay. I'm Ewok village. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's a good one, man. Um, Justin, what are you geeky about this week? Uh, I guess I so I, I uh, Amazon gave me five dollars off my uh, HBO subscription, so I renewed it. So for ten dollars instead of fifteen. Oh. Uh, so I started watching uh, this this show called McMillions. I don't know if you've heard of it yet. It's mm. about how the Monopoly game at, Mon- at McDonald's in the 90s was completely a scam and rigged. And there was this, uh, what? these people that were, uh, that were, they, they were playing so the, time on that. Yeah, yeah, they were playing the system and, uh, and like the, they discovered like the FBI discovered that there were like five winners and all of them had familial relationships. They all used different last names, what? but they were all related. And so it's, it's episode by episode. So I'm only one and a half episodes in. But it's uh, and I'm not even sure how many episodes it's dripping out right now. Uh, oh, but it's, it's a great it's a great dude, start to the I, show. I really enjoy it. I don't it. believe in those contests, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-uh. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, mean, I, that's, I grew you know I'm uh, I grew I was born in '83, so I, I grew up in the I grew up in the '90s. I played the Monopoly game like crazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. that sucks. That's uh, that's a good one. I gotta I gotta check that out. I um uh, I actually read an article in Rolling Stone, which I didn't think I would find interesting, but it uh, because it's not my genre, but it's uh, it's about the birth of heavy metal music, because uh, I'm not a heavy metal fan, but it talks about uh, the uh, the forming of the first heavy metal band and the first heavy metal album, which was Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne, and. And so they they uh, they started off as kind of a jam, like a blues jam band. And they would just, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and these guys, uh, the bassist uh, lost his fingers in, in like a factory accident right when they were getting big. So he had to relearn how to play the bass. And wow. so it's really about the creative process and how they just really took this opportunity and they made this album in like two days. But the but the guy who did the recording just like mixed it in the right way, and they just had this right mix of stuff, and how it, it and even into the '80s they didn't think that they were that big of a deal, but they were uh, they were uh, like Def Leppard or 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 uh, one of these bands were uh, listening to the Black Sabbath album, and they were thought, oh, these guys are just putting us on because we're here. You know, and they're making fun of us, and they're like, "No, man, we became a band because of you." You know, <laughs> so, so they kind of invented heavy metal. Uh, so anyway, I, I just found the whole thing about the creative process and how a company or how a, a band or how a book is written. Uh, the creative process of something is always very fascinating to me. So uh, anyway, I, I thought Frank, that was Frank Lamy sliced the tips off of two of his fingers. So he made melted plastic bottles and tuned down the strings. Yeah. To the drop T drop D tuning. Wow. So right. So 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 they were they were working. Legendary. I always they thought were, Led Zeppelin invented metal. I had no idea. Yeah. And so and and that that part of the story is really interesting. They kind of glossed over it, but but the guy, they're like, just as the band is starting to take off, the guy loses the tips of his fingers. And instead of going like, oh, <laughs> he like he reinvented himself mm-hmm. and reinvented his playing and it made the sound that made the band. Whoa. I'm going to go listen to uh, the black Sabbath album by black Sabbath. Now. <laughs> yeah. The first one and then read this article and it all comes together and it's just like, wow, they really, they really brought something and how they came up with their sound. And 
Metal's anyway. always been my main genre. And oh, dude. well, and uh, yeah, yeah, listen to that, and then and then read this article. You'll it'll uh, you'll you'll get a big kick out of it. <laughs> I think I think metal is a modern version of classical music, and <laughs> there's there's a lot of studies out there that people with depression, anxiety, or other like kind of I guess issues that they're dealing with are calmed by heavy metal where where people who aren't it it stresses them out so <laughs> yeah i can wrong see that you, i mean I it's two you're talking about two totally polar extremes i could see how depending on your brain chemistry how that could affect different people different ways it, like, interesting Bach, Bach and beethoven they were basically metal heads with with <laughs> they were if you that's metal man yeah it's true it's true and i've heard some good metal versions of those so yeah <laughs> There, man. Well, on that note, <laughs> uh, on that note metal Trev- is life and life is metal. <laughs> yeah, I I uh I absolutely love it. Travis Chambers, everybody. Great show. Great show. And uh thank you, man. Well, I will we want to have you back at some point. So uh, you know, check out his website. Yeah, yeah, and uh and and thanks thanks again for being on the show, man. Thanks, guys. All right, all right. So uh, I happen to be standing next to my lovely Vrau of mine. <laughs> oh, you're von That's just so good. <laughs> ich bin zu dem Mann von Iris. <laughs> I'm making fun of my Dutch. It's so good. It's so good I don't understand it. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's super funny. What's, uh, what's happening, baby? Who's, who's coming up on the show? Well, next week we are talking to a lady again. A woman, a very successful young woman. Her name is uh, Nadia Masri. And Nadia is the CEO and co founder of Persky.com. And Persky.com is a search company. They um, invented an app and they do a lot of research for companies uh, like PepsiCo, big names uh, amongst millennials. And what is successful is that millennials don't have the feeling that they are. Um, cooperating, how do you say that? Now my English is not so good. Um, how do you say Dutch? <laughs> how do you say Dutch? They don't have the feeling that they're like in deep in a survey, but it's like more like a game for them or just they feel really engaged in um, uh, anticipating in that uh, 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 surveys, in these kinds of surveys. So Nadia is uh, very successful. She already at several companies and um yeah i think she had a she has a great niche and uh, a lot of uh, good things to talk about nice. so that's yeah. next week we okay. actually we actually had a nice little prelude segment because she's the one that runs um a company that rewards people for sharing their data like we kind of talked yeah. about that at the end of the show here but that's what she actually does so yeah oh cool nice yeah. nice well, so till next week Okay, wait, 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 wait. What are you, oh. what are you geeky about oh, right now? What I'm geeky about? Well, I am geeky about uh, building my own website and starting my own podcast. And it's called The Metamorphosis. And, Good um, title. I like that title. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I focus on people who went through a metamorphosis from what, for what reason, a date, some big event, life event, and that they uh, decided to do something else with their lives, like work, relationship-wise, uh, whatever, starting in their own business. And um, so I want to uh, find 
that kind of stories. And next to that, I'm going to make podcasts for businesses. So I uh, am going through my own metamorphosis at the moment. And um, well, the whole uh, goal is to go live on April 1st this year. So I'm working very hard on it. That's my geeky thing for the coming weeks. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And a very specific goal too. I like that. Time, time element. Yes. It's a smart yes, goal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and for that, uh, for and, the rest, the marketing geeks, of course. And producing the show yeah, for because us because she keeps the show running. Ladies and gentlemen, Iris Sturgeon, my lovely wife. See you next week. Yeah. All right, man. So, uh, yeah, that was a that was a great show. Anything that you wish to? Uh, well, I, I have to mention that uh, our podcast, even though there's only seven people that listen, has been mentioned now in, in two recent articles. Uh, you know, I happen to every now and then we get these little you know brand brand mentions, and I like to look into them. But we uh, we were named by uh, Aaron Ayara or Aaron Burton, depending on where you read his name, um, as one of the top ten. Podcast, effective nerd, aka the dot com, uh, as a, a top po- ten podcast that he actually is more productive while listening to, and that's that's something special right there. I mean, we make the man more productive. I mean, that's that's something to be not taken lightly, right? That that's a, with great power comes great responsibility. So, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for listening to the show and uh, being one of our seven listeners. And uh, actually, he he's a he's a pretty interesting guy. So, Iris booked him. He's my other, my other favorite part though was we were named in a list of uh, the top seventy five podcasts that advertisers or the advertising industry is listening to. We were like number twenty six on the list and uh, number number twenty eight. But my favorite part was that that that. Um, that list, they highlight one social media network for each podcast. It happens to be Twitter, which is our, like our lowest following. And it's just, I just find it so funny that we're like every, every podcast on there is like thousand, 2000, 3000 followers. And then it's like marketing geeks, 26. 26. <laughs> represent how many times people have mentioned us. If you want to be number 27, Go to Twitter and follow us. I mean, that's just the reality is we created a Twitter account. We don't do much with it. Um, and that's our fault. But, but we are uh, active on LinkedIn. So reach out to us yeah. on LinkedIn and uh, we're going to try and do uh, LinkedIn lives if we can. More good stuff coming. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, another fine. This was a great show. This was really good. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, that's a very knowledgeable man right there, Travis Chambers. I mean, the guy, he's worked for some of the top advertising companies in the world. I mean, that's that's some crazy stuff. Yeah, and, and definitely check out his uh, his website because uh, at uh, chamber.media because the videos are very entertaining and it just it makes me rethink some of the things that I've been doing. I learned so much on this show, man. It, it makes me rethink partner. my entire life. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that you should definitely do that no matter what. That's right. No, but I really do. Yeah, we have amazing guests on the show. I love learning from them. I mean, every, the people that we're bringing on have a ton to add to the conversation, and they, they all bring their own element of value. So, I mean, we're learning a ton. Hopefully, you are too. And if not, let us know. You know, we want feedback. We love you guys. We Especially really do. All we really do. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely. So go check out McMillions on HBO too. If you have HBO, and that, it's a conspiracy. 
I had no idea that my money was being taken by McDonald's. Imagine that. And with that, (laughs) stay classy. But any feedback for us on on the show? Or so I think it's the most enjoyable interview I've had. I've done about oh, forty thanks. podcasts. I think this is by far the most enjoyable. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Can we quote you on that? <laughs> yeah, I'll go write a review right now. Oh, cool! Thank oh, you. you're the Thank man. You. Thank you.